Um, you know, it's just kind of a thing that I, I wanted to ask. You know, you, you look at that, it's just a handkerchief, right? And in the pastor's note, I know it's kind of simplified, but what I wanted to say today is that God has a way of using the mundane to do something extraordinary. Isn't that true? It's not just true in Scripture. Like, it's not just true when we read uh, uh, what we read through the book of Acts or you go through any space, uh, whether old or new. It's like you, you read about the extraordinary things. Like, God used a man who was scared to speak in Moses and he delivered an entire nation through ten miracles. I mean, frogs in the millions, locusts, blood, like water turning into... I mean, we're talking about miraculous stuff and it happens through a staff, like a piece of wood, right, in the life of Moses. And God has a way of doing that. I mean, you look at the early church. I mean, we're talking about a scared group of people that really could not have built an organization that would stand centuries, and yet God used that small group of people to build an early church where we're a part of professing Christians. That's the mundane. Right? You take a virgin teenager and speak to her and say, God has favor over your life. And she's like, wow, what is this message you're speaking? And she brings forth a Savior. Like, Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey on the triumphal entry. I mean, there seems to be this habit in Scripture that through small things that are overlooked, like you look at it on the surface, you say, you know, that's not very much. It doesn't look like much can't do much, doesn't amount to much. It's not very valuable, not very powerful. There are those things, and you look at that and you say, wow, how did that accomplish that? That's what this is, a handkerchief. And so the title slide of this message is Miracles, Miracles, right? That God has a way of performing miracles through the things that are so commonly overlooked. And that's what our passage today is. And so we land in Acts 19, verses 11 through 20. If you could flip there. Acts 19, 11 through 20. We're going to talk about the miracles that took place in Ephesus. Okay? Right there. Verse 11. And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that, get it, handkerchiefs, and aprons, right? handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted, uh, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirits answered and they said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who in the heck are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus and fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Amen. We'll stop there. What a profound 
passage of scripture. I mean, you read that, you're like, wow, this is, this is extraordinary. Uh, miracles. You look at that word, I mean, you might kind of use it in jest. That was a miracle, like something that you just didn't expect to happen, right? But the word miracle or the presence of miracles in our lives, it reminds us, I think, that life is more than what we naturally see. That I can go about my world and plan my life, but I realize that when I understand that miracles are a part of life, it expands my my worldview. It helps me to see beyond what I naturally see with my eyes. The, during the course of this message, I, I, I think to a certain extent, I, I'm going to be preaching to myself. Because there was a time not so long ago where I, I sought miracles, in a sense, daily. I remember beginning out in ministry. I mean, I was a young teenager, 19 years old, freshly professing Jesus, in Bible school, committing my life to the Lord in ministry. And I remember asking God for miracles, to turn the world literally upside down. That God can do such things. That if I were to see someone that was lame, I knew that God, through prayer, could make that person well. That if there was a financial difficulty, I knew that God owned the cattle on a thousand hills, and the hills themselves, and that God couldn't provide for that. I remember God providing for my tuition through prayer, and God bringing people into my life through prayer, I believe, this all happened. And it wasn't so long ago where literally each day I felt as though that I would experience the miraculous presence of God. I prayed that way. It was a reality to me. If I needed a coat and I didn't have the money, I wouldn't pray for a coat. If I didn't have this and I knew that God could provide it, I prayed for that. And it felt as though it was so natural, so easy to pray like that. Right? And then the years pass on. Ministry goes forward. I grow up in years. And I don't know. Like something happened to, to that fervency, that desire, just that simple expectation. Not a pride to say, God, you must do miracles, but literally an understanding that God can do it and wants to do it. And that humble confession, God, show your miraculous hand today. And, and as I was preparing for this message and just looking at the word miracle, I began to see, like, where is that seeking after that? And so I asked the question to you, like, is there a seeking after the miraculous presence of God today? That when you woke up to today, did you expect that God can do a miracle in your life? And whatever that might be, in the field of, of, of careers or relationships, your own personal growth, your faith, your health, your family. Like, there's a difficulty present in our lives, correct? Like, today there is. We woke up today and things could have been better, right? And we were, we were facing and looking up a mountain, sitting in a valley and thinking, how in the world am I going to get up there? Right? There is a health issue, a bill payment, something that there is a difficulty facing us. And somehow I woke up today thinking to myself, how can I solve that? Right? Doesn't that what experience, doesn't that what it does to us? Like the longer we live, we begin to trust in ourselves. We begin to think that, how did I do this before? How can I do this now? How can I rally the people around or the, the resources and leverage all of that to fix this issue? Now that's a good thing, experience is. 
but, but a foundational mindset of the Christian must be, I wake up today and God can do a miracle in my life. Like just that simple understanding. I think it changes how we begin to assess, to present ourselves before the problems that face us. And we begin to say, God, wait a minute, you defeated enemies before Joshua that they should not have defeated. You subdued nations and made kings submit that were as prideful as ever. How could it be through ram's horns and the blowing of trumpets that walls can crumble? How do giants fall when entire armies are shaking in fear through a young little boy with a sling and a couple of rocks? Like we're talking about an aspect of God using something simple, an instrument, a sling and a stone, walking to accomplish something that is beyond the imagination of the people that are doing it. That's what I'm talking about today. And it convicts me. Because I realize how I pray is not with that intention, miracle right now. And so I hope that through my own conviction of myself, and as I just walk through this passage with us today, that somehow, maybe in me, maybe in you, and then us collectively as a church, we begin to pray differently over our church, over your families, over my family, over your work. We begin to see it in a different light. And I know that through a handkerchief, a sweatband, something used simply to wipe sweat off of somebody's forehead could be used as an instrument of healing and salvation for multitudes of people. I hope that something like that can happen today. That's my, my, my hope, my, my desire. It says God was performing, and I think that's an important first space to start at. Let us never confuse the instrument and vehicle of the miracle with the person who made it possible. Let the person who prays for a miracle never puff him or herself up believing that somehow there was something special about me because miracles are happening. God does it. He uses people, but God does it. And I think that's a very important first framework to have. And what was happening, it says in verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles. I mean, I mean in a sense, is there any such thing as an ordinary miracle? I don't know. Right? Maybe, right? But extraordinary, like this is beyond what we consider normal. Extraordinary stuff, magical stuff, really, right? And to the point where Paul, I mean, he's just one individual in the city of Ephesus. I mean, I know he has a, a team of partners that are ministering with him, but as he's in this particular city, there are throngs of people that want to get close to him, that have sicknesses and problems, and they believe through his preaching and through the, the healing hand that they can be made well. And it was to the point where Paul couldn't get everywhere. And what was happening is they were just, give me one of his aprons. Give me one of his sweatbands, handkerchiefs. And they were literally taking these people pieces of cloth to the people that were maybe outside and they were taking them home to their friends or relatives and they were being healed wherever these garments were going. I mean, that's extraordinary. And there's a revival breaking out through handkerchiefs. Right? It's extraordinary. It's miraculous. And so, to begin with, as 
hands you go to the next slide. Let me say this. As we walk with God, let's believe in miracles. Now, I don't want to say just acknowledge. Because, I mean, I think to an extent, if we've all grown up in the church and you value the Word of God, you can acknowledge miracles, right? That you read through the parting of the Red Sea and you don't think it's a fable. You acknowledge that it was miraculous and that it actually happened, right? That God can cause plants to grow from nothing and donkeys to speak. He can, he can make iron float, right? Those are miracles, things that are against the natural way things actually happen, and it can happen. And as a Christian, I acknowledge it, right? And I, I read about what happens in spaces through books or through, through uh, media, and, and I begin to, to get aware of that and say, okay, wow, that was a miracle, and I don't believe that's fake, and I acknowledge it. But where I want us to get to today is this belief in my life, in our lives, that as I walk with God, I need to believe and in a sense expect. If you can change believing and just substitute expect, right? That as we walk with God, let's expect miracles. Expect it. It seems to be common, this thing in Scripture, like Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs. I mean, there was an instance as you go uh, to... Uh, this is about Peter, right? And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. This is a passage we read about in the early chapters of Acts. Right? To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. I mean, there were so many people that were just like, wow, what is this Christian thing? Jesus, who is that? And these people speaking about him. And all of the lame, there was like no room in the houses where, where Peter uh, and the other apostles were. And so all the sick were just laying on cots and they would bring them from every corner of the village and just lay them on the street. And they would be waiting for what? Peter. That when Peter came by, at least his shadow would be cast over them. Right? That it would fall over any one of them. That's like faith. Right? He doesn't even need to pray for me. He just needs to walk by. I just need to like catch a scent of his cologne. His shadow just needs to touch my leg. Right? And this is normal. And you think about Jesus. And they implored him, Jesus, that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. Remember the woman with the hemorrhage? In the crowd of people, she goes and she probably like is crawling underneath everybody and just touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And she's like, whoa, what happened? Power came out of me. Somebody touched me with faith, is what he was saying. Right? And so there is this, again, like through clothing, healing is happening. Right? And as many as touch the, that fringe, just that thread, <laughs> that loose piece, they were healed. Like, how, how does that speak to you today? Like, like, how does that relate? Can it relate? That people in faith touching the fringe of a garment being cast on by a shadow, being brought a smelly, sweaty apron, that somehow there was a belief that God could accomplish something extraordinary through these very simple things. 
Maybe our view of a relationship is simple. Our career, our faith, our gathering here. That through something like a handkerchief, a miracle can take place. That I can leave here today impacted by a miracle if I would only believe in that. God is not unable to do that. He is not unwilling. And yet, somehow, to a certain extent, I don't or we don't experience that on a regular basis. So as we walk with God, let us believe in miracles, right? An expectation, right? An expectation of miracles. I mean, in the sense, that expectation of miracles, it fights against a certain cancer. It's the cancer I'll call self-sufficiency, right? And it's what I alluded to before myself, right? That somehow if I feel as though I can manage, that I can solve it, that this self-sufficient attitude, it puts the desire for miracles at an arm's length away. It stiffs arms it. Right? It puts it away. Because I can do it. I don't need God to show up. I don't need Him to do anything. Because in a sense, I'll live with the consequences. Right? I can handle it. I'm a self-made man. Right? I have knowledge and resources. And I have money in my bank account to attack it. I got strength in my body to overcome it. And when I am relying and sufficient in myself, I don't need miracles. But when that breaks down, and I understand that I cannot do it on my own, that I am insufficient and a sinner before God, that there are things that I will encounter where I need faith in the presence of God, I begin to yearn for, believe in, and want a daily expression and experience of miracles. And a belief in miracles, it keeps us childlike, doesn't it? Right? I mean, children, they believe, like we were, like our boys, they're still young enough where they think I can do anything. To Jacob maybe now, like he's kind of like at seven, at that space where he's like, ah, maybe his eyes are opening up a little bit, right? But Christopher definitely, like case in point, just today, coming to uh, church, we're driving on the freeway south on the 405. And, you know, as I'm driving, I have peripheral vision, right? You know, like when you drive, you're just, you're, of course, you're looking at the car in the lane in front of you, but you're always thinking about your surroundings. And when you drive, without even knowing, you're always checking your mirrors. You're always looking at what's right and left, just in case, right? And for me, as I drive, I'm looking at the boys too, right? And so I'm, I'm driving, I'm holding the wheel, I'm looking at the rearview mirror, at the boys, the side, all that stuff, right? And I see the boys, right? <laughs> we're driving south on the 405, and there were like these balls, like, I don't know what it was, and it had something on it, right? And it was like way back, we're driving south and we're going. And then, like, the boys are looking out the window, Christopher's looking out this side, right behind the driver's seat. And like miles pass, and you can see that he's processing something. And he asks, Dad, why do they write that, 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 that on the ball like that, right? And he had two assumptions. Number one, I saw it, right? Like, so he believes that I see everything. Did you get that? Like he asked me a question minutes later about something he saw miles ago and he believed that I saw it. Like, do you get that? To me, that was profound. Like this kid thinks I see everything. 
and that I have an answer for it. He also understands that, that I will know the answer to his question. Because he doesn't ask with a framed, doubtful question. Like, he asks that, why do they do it? Like, knowing that not only did you see it, you know why they did it that way. Right? And children are like that. Because they believe, they've, they have this, this understanding. And in a sense that when I believe in miracles, when I believe God can do all things, it keeps me childlike. And that's important. That my posture before God remains one of dependency. That I'm leaning into God and I'm wanting and yearning. Let's never lose that in our lives. Second point is this. That in our walk with God, let's not follow miracles, though. Okay? Our passage, there were these seven sons of Sceva, right? And they're using the name of Jesus, right? And they're trying to do the same thing Paul was doing, right? And using the name of Jesus. And there was this guy, demon-possessed. He's like, oh, wait, who, who are you? <laughs> uh, I know who Jesus is, and, I, and I, I know about Paul, but I have no idea who you are. What does it tell us? I mean, in a sense, Satan's capable of doing supernatural things. Very capable. Right? And so if we are people, yes, we believe in miracles, but if we're following miracles, there comes a danger. Right? Let's not get the, the carriage before the horse here. Let's not believe in God because He's performed a miracle and we've witnessed it. That personal relationship with Jesus and God is primary. Miracles are secondary third tier, fourth tier, right? And so let's not follow after. And, you know, in this passage, this demon-possessed man subdues those false prophets and strips them of their clothing and they're all screaming, running out the house naked, right? And everybody hears of it, and they're like, they understand. First of all, they're glorifying God because of this, which is very important. And they're realizing, wait a minute, that you can't just use the name of Jesus in vain. That there needs to be something deeper of faith connected to that. And what was happening is that the name of Jesus was being magnified. And to the point where believers of the city, who somehow still hung on to former practices of magic, right? They were being convicted by this because they saw how the seven sons of Sceva were trying to manipulate and use the name of Jesus. And these, as it says, were some of the believers in Ephesus. They were coming convicted. And what were they bringing? They were bringing their magic books. Right? And so there was this, this, uh, this thing in Ephesus where the, the supernatural was, in a sense, understood. But people were using magic books to do that. And all of the believers who had these magic books at home were bringing them to the apostles, and they were burning them. And it's significant because the Bible puts a monetary amount, an estimate, on these books. 50,000 pieces of silver, right? Most likely the Greek drachma, right? What is that? It was... One coin was a day's wage. Right? Let's, just, let's just have some fun with it. Compute that to today's numbers. Let's just say, I'll, I'll be a little generous just to make it easier on the numbers. $10 an hour, let's just say minimum wage. Okay? 
Multiply that by eight, let's say it's $80 right, a day. And if it's 50,000 days wages, multiplying that is $4 million worth of books being burned. Now let's say you can sell it secondhand at 50%. Let's just say there's a secondhand market for these books at 50%. Today's value, it's like burning $2 million right in front of you. And so what's happening here is that their values were being changed. That the worth of this paled in comparison to having an authenticity to their faith as they followed God. And it happened in this city of Ephesus as these miracles were taking place. Right? So let's not follow the miracles, but let's believe that God can and wants to do these in our lives today, tomorrow the problems and hurdles that we face, that God can lift us higher, take us further, lead us to spaces that our eyes have not seen, can provide resources that we do not have, can plug those holes in our purses and pockets. God can give us wisdom when needed, courage and strength, vision. And all of these things God can do daily in our lives. He'll take handkerchiefs and aprons, stones and instruments and he'll use all of that for his glory as I close off praise team you guys come back I'll finish with two points first is this oh sorry Mac. yeah it was there <laughs> I get so confused if I can't click through this uh, right? that miracles should magnify Jesus not people not the individual right? it shouldn't puff us up in faith it, it's magnifying God. And secondly, that last exit point that I'll have is faith in God aligns values to God's heart and word. And I see this in the burning of those very expensive books. That when there is a, a faith in God, that what follows that is that my life begins to align to His heart, to His values, to His word. And may that happen in our lives daily as we seek those miracles. Amen? Amen.